What's up, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode here on RNFM Radio. You're tuning in to episode 164, and we keep climbing. You've got questions, we've got answers. You've got opinions, well, so do we. And we'll be sharing those with you right here on The Pulse of Nursing. We're honored to have you tuning in with us, and we promise you'll learn something while we keep it both fun and interesting. I'm Kevin Ross, hanging out in my studio in Colorado. Uh, let's see, Elizabeth shared something interesting about her last week, so I'll just go ahead and share something weird that I brought from my childhood that is still here today. I like to eat sandwiches, gluten-free of course, and I love the crust, but I always eat around the crust and save the middle for last because it's always the best part. I don't know, you, don't, you probably don't care, but I'm just sharing it anyway. We're transparent here, and we are live, or of course live here today, but not live when you're listening to us. Anyway, let's get to our guests, welcome them to the show, and... Actually, no, not guest, host, guest, host, host, whatever. Keith Carlson, Elizabeth Scala. Elizabeth, let's start with you first. Elizabeth, how are you doing in Baltimore? I'm doing well. I am alive and uh, I like peanut butter and jelly. Favorite sandwich. Are you kidding I, me? Yeah. Every when day. I go to work, if I, if I have to pack a lunch, let's say, yeah. we go to the beach, I go to work, I'm on a car trip, whatever. I'm going to pack peanut butter and jelly. I've been eating it every day quote quote sort of since kindergarten and i will continue to do that <laughs> holy smokes elizabeth i kid you not i eat peanut butter and jelly every single morning along with my fruit and vegetable smoothie i i love peanut butter and jelly and that was the one thing that i used to take to work with me when i was at hopkins every day and everybody just made fun of me but i love peanut butter and jelly that yeah, is people awesome. are always like how do you eat it every day? I'm like, you don't, it's just such a great sandwich. But I mean, I mean, I eat it every day when I'm on the go. If I'm home, I'll make something different. But yeah, love right. peanut butter and jelly. I love that we're sharing. <laughs> anyway, Keith, feel free to come in and share if you'd like or just say hello. Whatever works for you, buddy. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Well, you know, I have to say I've always loved peanut butter and jelly. I also love almond butter and jelly. So I'm also into that. I love, uh, salted creamy almond butter with strawberry jam or organic blueberry jam so you know i definitely love them however lately my thing is blts and especially here in santa fe there's a couple places that make avocado turkey blts which i think is really the bomb so that is nice yeah, so I'm a little bit into that right now. And Mary, my wife Mary, said the other day that there's a place in town that makes the best avocado turkey BLT. So I'm going to be hitting that place up very, very soon. And I'll tell you all about it. Wow. You guys are making me hungry. It's too oh, close gosh. to dinner time here on the East Coast. <laughs> you know, I, I seriously, I didn't mean to start this trend, but I just figured, you know what? It would be nice to share something personal. And I've got so many other personal stories to share and I think it really just kind of deepens that connection uh, with our community. So, hey, I'm just glad that you two jumped in on that one. That's right. And maybe we need to have a sandwich contest or question on um, on the Facebook page. And Right, right. You know, and, and if we have any listeners in Quebec or Montreal or even in New England, we used to drive up to Montreal from Western Mass periodically. And there's a cafe called Cafe Centropole. It's in a neighborhood of Montreal. And... They make the most bizarre sandwiches like chocolate, bacon, tomato, spinach, things like that. And that is an awesome place to go if you go to Montreal. Anyway. Right. Well, you know, like I said, we just bring whatever it is because the show, we just, I don't know, sandwiches, weather, whatever it is. 
Uh, but of course, we always have some very important salient topics here that I think all of our listeners can feed off of. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We have something I think that is extremely important. We have talked about money. We have talked about money from the aspect as an entrepreneur, whether you are a new or budding entrepreneur out there or an experienced and savvy entrepreneur. And we're also going to segue that in or parlay that over into negotiating salaries and talking about money as an employee because we don't want to leave anybody out on this one. So we figured, you know what, we just cast a large net and grab those entrepreneurs out there. And of course, those individuals who also want to still be an employee somewhere, totally get it, totally fine. We support each and every one of you. But if you do have a sandwich question, head over to rnfmradio.com and hit the speak pipe thing, that little doohickey on the right side of the screen, that little tab, just click that, it'll open up. You can leave us a little voicemail or what have you. It's very easy to do. And of course, if you don't want your message aired, just let us know. But otherwise, we might actually put it on the show. Anyway, that's a mouthful. So Elizabeth and Keith, let's talk about something I think near and dear to my heart. Not to say that money is like the most important thing, but it is the lifeblood of your business. And without it, you are likely out of business. So I was inspired by, of course, over at Aspiring Nurse Bloggers. This is a Facebook group that Brittany Wilson of The Nerdy Nurse has started. And of course, this I would say is like where we get mindshare. This is a mastermind group, a group of nurse bloggers over there, nurse entrepreneurs, what have you, just a mix of us over there. And we, we just share ideas, we share thoughts, and we give opinions, and we help each other out. And so our Katie Kleber, who was just on last week, and she, I mean, she killed the show. She rocked it, loved it, had fun with her. But she had chimed in on a topic about invoicing uh, a particular, and of course, we won't name names here, but she was giving everybody a heads up that she had done some work. And it looks like she was writing a review for this particular organization. And apparently, she was having a heck of a time getting some payment from them. Apparently, there might have been an agreement. She writes these reviews. Maybe they send her the products. She gets paid for it. And lo and behold, she writes all the stuff. She does all these things. And of course, guess what? She didn't get paid. And so she's done all this work. And so what happens next? So does she actually just post it because she already put her, I don't know, blood, sweat and tears into the post or the content. But anyway, she just wanted to give us all a heads up on this particular organization. Again, we won't mention them. And a few others have chimed in about trouble invoicing for this particular, you know, subject as far as blog posts and writing content and writing reviews. And I don't know if either one of you have had issues with that, but let's talk about really the negotiation process and invoicing. So Elizabeth and Keith, I don't know where you want to start with your opinions or how you feel about this, but I am certainly head deep into this stuff. I love negotiating the financial aspects in my business. Love it. Oh dear. Well, I'm often negotiating payments generally for writing. I mean, I do negotiate with my coaching clients, but that's a little more cut and dry because I send them a PayPal invoice and they pay the invoice before we begin coaching. So coaching is actually pretty easy because it's one-to-one. It's just me and the client. I send them an invoice, they pay it, or they mail me a check in the mail. And sometimes I'll start a coaching relationship prior to payment being received. But in general, the money is in my hands or in my bank account before the coaching relationship starts. However, as an entrepreneur and as a freelance writer, I've been working on that for a long time. And 
usually when I write for a website or a magazine, and I write for quite a few these days, all for pay, not for free, as I used to do when I was just starting out as a writer, I we always have a contract. Usually they offer me the contract. We sign it. I always have my legal person check it out before I sign, like a recent contract I just signed a couple days ago. And I have not had any problems with payment for quite a few years, though there is one place that I used to write for, which shall remain nameless, who burned me out of about $1,000. And I have not been able to get them to respond to my follow-up about that $1,000. And I haven't really wanted to engage legal in trying to get that 1000 So I counted it as a lesson, and I basically moved on. But I think a lot of us out there have been burned in the past. And Elizabeth, maybe you have been too, or maybe you have a your own take on how you negotiate. Well, I wanted stuff. to tease something out, and maybe and Elizabeth can certainly. You're going to um, tease add, me? Yeah, I am going to tease you. Oh, so is it is it standard practice in, in sort of a coaching uh, presence out there, a service that you're providing? It sounds like it's standard practice that you do invoice your client before you provide the services versus when in the other, in the other situation. Uh, and, and this is, this might be something where a client only comes to you once or maybe a couple of times versus someone where you have a long-term agreement where you might do all of the work upfront or at some point, some stage, and then you invoice them either halfway through that or after it is all complete. So is that, is that, that seems about standard for what Coaches are charging like right up front, money in the bank, then we can talk? Pretty much. I mean, with once in a while, I will do a payment plan with a client and any kind of payment, whatever we've agreed on, isn't just in an invoice that I send from PayPal. It's also in a coaching agreement that we both sign. So gotcha. um, that's how I go about it. And I haven't had any real issues in, in coaching in terms of invoicing. So it's been pretty easy for me in that respect. And I work with great clients, so I generally don't have any issues. Yeah, I haven't had any issues myself. And I want to speak to it on the, on the, to respond to your question, Kevin, on the side of the client, I guess, because I don't personally do one-on-one work, uh, but I have had many coaches and I do hire people for help because I believe in investing in myself and my business. So everyone I've ever worked with that is exactly what Keith is describing. Of course, there's a contract, there's a written agreement that is signed. But yes, for me, I've always paid up front. And in there, there's a stipulation that says, you know, if I have to cancel or something comes up with me, you know, that money's gone because it was it was my responsibility to be in that relationship. So, you know, if something happened dreadful, I haven't had any kind of tragedy like that thus far. But if there was something dreadful, I I wonder what the coach might do. But there's always that stipulation where if the client is not showing up to the calls, is not doing the work, is not following through on the goals. I mean, that's the responsibility of being a client. You're paying in, in money to the coach, but you're also paying in, you're putting that effort in as the client. So I have, I've paid everything up front. There has been payment plans. Um, if it, if it was a really hefty, investment and I paid, you know, over the course of months, but it was billed the same time through an invoicing service that you had a certain amount of days to pay it. Otherwise there's late fees and all of that is written in the contract. So 
I'm a good client and I pay on time. So I, they didn't have to take me to any legal, legal matters. But um, yeah, that's what I've seen in the coaching world in terms of being a client. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to admit, I think I have before uh, to the two of you and all the listeners out there. I have never hired a coach. Doesn't mean that I don't find value in coaching. Thank so you, Kevin. It's, I, because I think because of this show, to be honest, after 164 episodes, uh, working with you, Keith, and of course now you, Elizabeth, and all of the guests that we've had on, and especially those coaches. I mean, I feel like I, I get like these coaching sessions, but I, I so that that to me is new. Like so, paying up front for those services, that's kind of standard practice. So I, I totally get that because for me, yeah. I'm a B two B guy, so I'm a business to business. So we contract with these businesses, we perform all this work, and then we just invoice for those services. But to your point, after you were talking about coaching is these longer term contracts is ultimately they, they need our services. I mean, they really need us to stay in business or to do whatever it is they do in business. And so it's a relationship that, that kind of goes both ways. So if they don't pay us, then ultimately if we have to sever that relationship, it's not just the fact that they lost us, uh, you know, our services, but ultimately they could lose chunks, like huge chunks of their business if they That's don't true. partner with us. So, um, Again, I, I'm just, I think, I don't know that I've ever, I don't think we've ever invoiced upfront for anything. Um, now the advertising and sponsorships a little bit different and we can talk about that in just a sec, but what I wanted to do is tease out a little bit about what Elizabeth was saying, talking about the investments that she's made. And then again, if you invest in yourself and, and give that coach that money and then you don't show up, then it's lost. Mm-hmm. How, so Elizabeth and, and Keith, as as someone who pays for, for coaching and who has provided coaching, I find that when you have, as a coach or if you have a package or some kind of deal, I think that if the price is just a little bit higher, you know, I mean, we're not like talking like twenty nine ninety five here, and I mean $29.95, but something that's a little bit more of an investment in not only the coach's time, but obviously yours as well to get that value that I think you probably will make every effort to show up. So if you buy a program that may be several hundred dollars and even several thousand dollars, and of course I'm sure it's worth it depending on what types of programs you're investing in, I think you probably would show up. I think you would actually open those books, digital or paper or whatever it is, and you would actually do what it is that you need to do if you were investing that kind of money. I mean, I didn't want to go off on a tangent about what coaches should be charging, but I do think that that's important. I think that's true. And I've always valued the time of the coaches I've worked with. And I've worked with several life coaches and business coaches for myself with my clients. Part of what I have in my agreements and my contracts is that instead of people losing an entire sessions, that session that they paid in advance for, I have a $50 fee for a session not canceled within 24 hours of the session barring family emergencies and deaths or hospitalizations or illness. And very few people have ever needed to pay a fee for a missed session, I have to say, because most sessions that people change with me or cancel, they always give me 24 hours notice. It's It's been a very rare occasion where I've had any issues with that. And I have that in the contract. It's also on the invoice. And I also have in the contract and invoice that prepaid coaching packages are not refundable. 
they can be credited to a later date, but they're not refundable. So it all depends on the wording you use. It all depends on how you communicate and how you get that information across to your clients. And honestly, like I said, I attract really cool people and really authentic people who just really walk their talk. So it hasn't been an issue for me. But like I said, invoicing for writing work and consulting work, that's another issue. And many companies, I guess, are net 30, right, Kevin? Aren't a lot of invoices kind of- At a minimum. Minimum paid within 30 days. Yeah, we have a lot of net 30 to 60. Yeah, Um, that's pretty common. Yeah, and I think that's, that's where a lot of nurse entrepreneurs get hung up when they start their businesses that- and and I think that this is a difference between what we would what we would say as a freelancer versus like someone who truly is like an entrepreneur, sort of like bigger picture, much larger, you know, piece here, ten thousand foot view. Is that um, we do the work? So like, let's say that we do like okay. So July's coming to an end. By the time you listen to the show, we're already in August. So July's coming to an end. So all the work that we're doing in July, we might not get paid till sometime the end of August or even in September for some of that. Um, but we're, that's, a, that's just expected because in our setting, <laughs> the invoices are much larger. I mean, people, if, if we're charging anywhere from $10,000 or less, there are a lot of companies out there that will pay via credit card, which I can say we pay via credit card a lot too for our invoices and we don't pay for any airfare. We get all those airline miles and you know the teams travel for free, which is great. But anything above that, oftentimes, yeah, you're looking at it's got to go through a finance department and these companies, the CFO, whatever. And, you know, if if you're invoicing for hundreds of thousands of dollars, I mean, don't expect to get it like next week. I mean, it takes a little bit of time to get that, you know, processed. And maybe you don't have to like get it hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're invoicing. But I'm just saying, just expect that net 30 is pretty much the standard, you know, at a minimum, at a minimum. You know, I feel like there's, these are potentially two extremes on a a spectrum going with this extremely large um, amount and then these packaged programs that are, you know, they could be extremely large, but let's say we're kind of putting bookends on this topic. I'm, what I'm wondering is, or what I'm, I guess I'm thinking about as I'm listening is it really comes down to the fact as and in terms of being an entrepreneur now, not talking about the um, employee yet, but in terms of being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. just having that clarity around what it is you want. I mean, it's your business model and you are setting things up. So to be clear with contracts, policies, how you're going to enforce things, what are the steps you're going to take to get the money? If it doesn't come, do you deliver the work? You know, as you mentioned in the post where then she's sitting there thinking, well, do I put, do I put this article up? I wrote it, but I didn't get paid for it. So you have to do at the end of the day, what you hold uh, integrity around. And so for, cause where I'm coming from is in my case, I do send invoices to organizations. I'd say in the middle line, (laughs) I mean, we're, you know, it's in the thousands of dollars, but it's definitely not in hundreds of thousands. Well, I'm sorry. I'm just, I just use that. I I apologize. I I mean, but yeah, it doesn't, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, you scale it however it is. I mean, I think if you invoice for 50 bucks or $50,000, you know, as you said, there should be an agreement on both sides of when you should get that payment. 
Right. And I was just going to give an example of, okay, so for me, my policy is half up front when you sign the contract, 50% deposit to say, yes, I am going with you with this program. You can now continue to create the website for us. Our nurses will begin to register and that's how it begins. And then the other 50% is due though before the program begins. Now, the interesting thing was I worked with some organizations that were through the government this year. And so their invoicing structure is a little different and I had to modify. And, you know, for me, I could have just said, no, I'm not going to modify this. But again, what I said to start out this sort of ramble was you have your policies, you have how you're going to enforce them. And at the end of the day, you're the business owner making that decision to say, yes, I'm going to do it this way this time, or no, I'm going to pass on that and we're not going to work together. So I think you have to really just stay clear and confident in your decisions and, and then carry those out um, in the way that works for your business and yourself. Slam dunk. I mean, really? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's good. And, and I love that you said that. And you know, based on that 50% up front, a lot of creative. So, so having a, a media company outside of RNFM, there are situations where, yeah, if you're doing like web development, graphic design, some brand strategy and stuff, it is standard practice across the board for all ad agencies, marketing agencies, strategy to get a 50% payment up front. Because ultimately what that, what that is used for is to get launched. And because there's so many things that go into play, when you are relaunching a website or a brand or product or whatever that is. There's a huge amount of work that a lot of people, the end user, don't really understand. So any ad agency that I've ever worked with or that when we've ever charged a client, again, there's like that retainer that sort of holds that space and holds our designers and our team in place for them. You know, because ultimately you're saying, okay, well, I'm committing to you as an agency and we're saying, well, we're committing you to you as a client, but ultimately we also, as part of our commitment, we have to at least have some of that money up front so that we can hold those spots. Cause otherwise people will just come right in, you know, behind you if we don't have that, that payment. So it's, it's really not unheard of. Um, I like to do that, that though. That's, I appreciate that. And I use that now. I've, I've made a mental note to use that languaging when I'm having those sales conversations. Cause people are sometimes questioning, you know, why are we paying this money up front? And you're right. In terms of what I'm putting out there, which is an online program, I have to develop the back end and know that you're going to show up for it. So thank yes. you for that languaging. Oh. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. We can work on that later. But, you know, and Keith, I'm, I'm sorry. It seems like be, we're talking over here. But I just wanted to say, because I think that to offer some solutions for Katie and, of course, the group, you know, Brittany had talked about a, a program called Wave Apps, which at waveapps.com, it is a free service where you can invoice clients and then they even send reminders. So like if you set net 30 or net 15 or net 60 or whatever, automatically it will send them like emails and stuff. And, and FreshBooks at freshbooks.com will do that as well. So you can invoice your clients that way. And if they don't pay, then again, it'll just send them another reminder. Um, there are ways that you could add late fees on there as well. But you know, Katie wrote this content and, and these, these bloggers have written this content. And so you think, okay, well, maybe what I do is if I'm not getting payment or, you know, you write the content. So you've had this agreement up front, I'm going to develop this content. And then before it gets posted, um, you know, you have to pay me. So what you say is, okay, all the contents finished for this post, for this product, for this review or whatever, 
I really love it. I think it's going to really knock the socks off of your community. I really think that you're going to love it as well. So just as a reminder, as soon as I get that payment, we're going to be killing it together. I'm going to be putting it on the blog. I'm going to be sharing it with my community, my highly engaged community. You're reminding them of the value that they're getting so that they will be more aligned in paying you as soon as possible so that they can get that awesome content and access to your community. So you're reminding them twice, first upfront, develop the content, and then again at payment. Yeah, I think in a best case scenario, that's wonderful. And one thing I want to just point out here, Elizabeth, you made some really great points a few minutes ago, and Kevin, you did too. And I want to add something that just like networking or just like any kind of professional thing you have going in your career, it's often about relationships. And what I've done is I've created really, really high quality, good relationships with all my editors and the people who I write for. And I'm writing for five different platforms right now as a freelance writer. So I have ongoing relationships with all of those folks. I just got off the phone with one of my editors just before we hopped on this call. And that's important to me because those relationships are what create the authenticity that makes it, yeah, of course we're going to pay you in the next 30 days. Or of course, you know, one of my gigs, they deposit money directly into my checking account on the same day every month. And they've been doing that for about two years. So it's just part of the ongoing relationship. And we do have contracts. We have a legal plan in place to protect both of us and non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's about the ways in which I interact with the people who I'm working for as a freelancer. And that's part of it. And it, it ties into what Elizabeth shared about being really clear, having great clarity about what you're producing, what you're asking for, and when you're asking for it. And I did write for someone else some years ago where they weren't paying me. They weren't paying me on time. And I basically said, you know what? I'm not going to provide you any more content until our invoices are up to date. And then I have a, my net 30 policy is in effect. And if you can't pay me net 30, you know, within 30 days of invoicing, our relationship's over. And you know what? That relationship ended. <laughs> so right. you never know. You never know how it's going to go. And so I always go for the side of creating relationship because I think in any of your business dealings, whether in the entrepreneurial space or at the hospital, at the ICU, I think that's where it all comes down to for me. Right. You know, I think that's an awesome point. And it speaks to what you were talking about earlier and having those authentic clients, those really ideal clients coming to you. I think, you know, people think about money and it's like, oh, I've got to get my hands on it any way I can. And that sort of brings the air of desperation. And, and, there's if you let go of a client, whether it's a one on one client, whether it's this writing client that you were just mentioning, Keith, I mean, I had someone come to me and ask me to speak at their retreat. And we started working together. And as things were coming along, I noticed like, the topic kept changing, who I was working with kept changing. Uh, the way that they were going to pay wasn't going to be till afterwards. And I don't do that ever. I will not do that. I'm not getting paid after because I've heard of people just running out and never paying the speaker. So you know, there is a time when you can pass up certain types of money and certain types of clients. And then when you pass those up, you're opening yourself up to clients and money coming to you in an even better way. So, you know, when I let that speaking opportunity go, 
a week later, another person approached me with a project that we are kind of in the midst of dealing with right now. So I'm not going to speak to it, but it's going to be even greater than just that one talk at a retreat did for me. So my point is sometimes you just let go of the little chump change and, and pass, you know, on some money things, because then you open up to really that ideal fit. that's going to be more profitable in the long run. That's true. And that desperation is where I think a lot of us get caught up. And I've been there too. Totally. I've totally been there when I oh, feel me like too. I need the money. Oh my, my oh my God, <laughs> have I been there? And it still happens and you have to weigh, you know, what's going on for me here and how desperate am I feeling? And if y'all don't mind, I'd like to use this moment to make this segue to clinical nurses, to nurses who are not entrepreneurs, who are not out there freelance writing or coaching. I want to make this little shift in the topic because as a career coach, and I work mostly with nurses and other people too, but the majority of my clients are nurses and healthcare professionals. The thing is, what I hear from people often is, oh my God, I, I can't take that other job because I'm going to lose 75 cents an hour or, you know, different excuses or different reasons people give for, oh, that job's not going to work for me because I'm going to quote unquote lose such and such amount of money per month. But then I say, well, let's look at the benefits. Let's look at the culture. There's so many other things to look at. So where does that desperation and that notion come up around money when it comes to, you know, an actual salary for a job? Well, I mean, we, the, the easy answer is that we tie happiness with the, the dollar amount. I mean, the more we make, the happier we are. Except there's a study, several studies out there saying that the, the most or the happiest or the most ideal sort of situation is where, from a financial situation, is that, um, you know, employees that make around $75,000 a year, no, no more or no less are typically in that sort of this bubble or this, I don't know, group that are apparently are the happiest. So, I mean, we hear about money making us happy or at least buying us a little bit of happiness. And really, it's not about buying us happiness. It's buying us a little leeway, a little bit of runway uh, to do the things that we want to do most. And we tie that heavily to freedom. And I think if, you know, you have less money, then people feel like they have less freedom. But that's, we could, we could pick the, that apart like all day long about really is making more money going to give you more freedom because a lot of people spend what they make or feel like, well, this job is really making me unhappy. Like I'm really miserable here, but gosh, the salary is great. But then maybe you spend more on things that you, that are just kind of like empty. Like it makes you happy like, for that like hour that day but then it's fleeting like you know buying mm. like tons of clothes or shoes or whatever um but because you can't take vacations or trips because you're always like tied to that job so you, you're not spending any more time with your family or friends or yourself mm. but you know yeah there's there's a lot of issues here for people around money and salaries and elizabeth what have you run into like in your dealings in the nurse world around people who people who are either unhappy about what they earn or they're afraid to move somewhere else because they 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 don't want to give up what they're earning. Do you see that in your world because I definitely do? Absolutely. Uh I've experienced it myself, but it's interesting to me 
I, I feel like there's a relationship between money and uh, a lack, sort of a greater uh, lack mentality. Meaning, and I'm, I, again, I can speak about exactly what I've done and, and how I used to think about it and things like that. So I'm not trying to blame our profession or point fingers or anything because I'm right there with everybody and have worked through a lot of money issues myself and continue to do so. But um, my point is, so in nursing, we have this tendency to be like, you know, we don't have the staffing or I don't have time to talk to the patient or I don't have this, I don't have that. So it becomes sort of a common language and money kind of comes in that similar. I know there's a lot more that goes on around money that Kevin was just speaking to related to freedom and, you know, the things we buy that kind of are frivolous. But I, I, for some reason, I see this a lot with nurses who come to me and say, well, I don't have the money to do that program with you. Or I, I don't have that money to go through that virtual conference and whatnot. So, which is kind of alarming because the things I put out there are really not that expensive. So I feel like it's a greater sense of I don't have, and we're so used to saying that in terms of staffing and time. And then I chunk money in there, but that is what I've observed from, you know, for example, the art of nursing program. I had nine organizations participate at that level, but I only had seven individual nurses sign up. So I don't know what, if that speaks to the individual, you know, putting out the money to go through a program. But to me, it, it spoke volumes. I was like, oh, well, people don't want to pay for this. So I'll just work with the organizations. Um, Right. I, I hope that answers your question and doesn't, you know, make me sound really negative. Uh, it's it's just what I have encountered and then have since shifted my bot my business model to work with the marketplace, so to speak. Right. So talking about fear around money, I do find a lot of nurses feel uncomfortable negotiating salaries. They feel uncomfortable asking for raises and healthcare is a pretty tight economy right now. It's a tight ecosystem. So, and I, and I also talk to nurses who are looking at changing jobs. And like I said earlier in the show, they're afraid to take a job where maybe they're taking a cut in pay, maybe even 50 cents or a dollar an hour. They, the fear comes up around that. And I often say, well, if you're going to take a small cut in hourly pay, or maybe you're losing the, the, the extra money you get in a differential for switching from nights to days. You also have to look at the culture of the workplace where you're thinking of working, the happiness you might, you might experience there. Maybe there's better benefits. Maybe there's a shorter commute. Maybe you can bike to work or take the subway to work. So sometimes, yeah, you're losing a little bit of hourly compensation, but you might gain on other levels and that position you're applying for even though it might pay a little less, who knows, it could lead you to more opportunity in the end. So yeah, there's the short-term quote-unquote loss, but then there's also the long-term gain if this job is actually fitting in with your long-term strategy and plan. So I just wanted to say that about the fears that come up around changes of jobs and that sort of thing. Well, and I wanted to add on, I think, the difficulty of what you're saying, Keith, and I am, I am in agreement with you 100% because I've lived it both as an employee and, of course, as an entrepreneur, is that it doesn't seem tangible. What you're saying is, oh, maybe you'll have more work-life balance or maybe you'll be closer to home or you'll have more time with your family 
or more access to whatever. Maybe the culture is just amazing. Like it's a huge culture fit that, that oftentimes doesn't feel tangible. It doesn't seem tangible to people because they feel like, Oh, that's just a pipe dream. That's like, you know, I hear about it. I read about it, but it's like, that doesn't happen around here. That can't possibly happen to me. And of course, you know, we've said many times, like you've just got to like figure out what it is that you want distill down what it is that you want out of your career and out of life. And then you got to go for it. So being frightened of taking the dollar less an hour or a little bit lower salary, I mean, look at everything. I mean, again, as an employee, I've done that. And especially as an entrepreneur, like I said, I mean, I went a couple years without really taking a salary. And then when I was taking a salary, it wasn't all that much. I mean, it was enough just to cover a couple of expenses. But I tell you what, like it was huge for me because I was able to be there for my boys when we needed someone like a parent to be there for them when they were sick, when they need to be picked up, just somebody accessible. That was like a huge French benefit to me um, and to us as a family. And it really worked out. But like I said, I think that a lot of people feel like this is just unreachable, like it's just not possible. And there are companies out there who say, like, listen, it's not because we're cheap. We just this is what we can afford to pay. But because of some partnerships that we have with some of the surrounding businesses, we can offer you some other things that no other company can offer you. And we've been able to do that. I mean, we, we pay our teams very, very well, but we also partner with other organizations that that either give us stuff at a huge discount that we pass on those discounts to our employees or we get it for free. And we just, I mean, we don't charge them. I mean, we give it to them. So the, it's out there. You just got to like keep your eyes and ears open and pivot and figure out what it is that you want and go get it because it is tangible. It is real. It does happen. I also want to circle back to what you were talking about earlier, Kevin, in terms of the spending. Um, and mm -hmm. I feel like, and I'm reading a lot of financial books these days because of the podcast that you turned me on to, the So Money podcast with Farnoosh Tarabi. So listening to that podcast, then I found some other finance people. I've been getting their books and, and really doing my best to sort of educate myself around this topic. Because as I mentioned a moment ago, I have had money blocks. And first I started clearing them energetically, which is a little bit woo for this conversation. And once I felt like, you know what, I feel pretty confident about this stuff. And I've let go of a lot of like the old sort of wounds about money. Now let me kind of educate myself so I can be a savvy financial person and, and learn about investing and what money means. Well, a lot of these folks are talking about the fact that people just don't know. They don't track their money. They're not aware of how much they spend on a monthly and annual basis. Where's the money actually going? Why do you have so many expenses? And if you really drill it down and cut down some of those expenses, you may not need as much money in a salary. So as Keith was pointing out, you know, what is that 75 cents to a dollar an hour going to mean to you? If you're going to be closer to home, if you're going to have, you know, you're only going to be working the day shifts, let's say, or you're, you know, you don't have to um, go in on the weekends, let's say that job that you want, like it doesn't have weekends, but there is a salary cut. So I, I think that one way to really take control of your money choices is to sort of sit down and figure out what's going on. Like where are the money leaks and how can you plug those so that you have less expense and you don't need this exorbitant salary. I feel like a lot of people just are living 
you know, kind of blindly above their means. So since I've been reading these books and doing these, you know, they give you exercises and now I have all these spreadsheets and I'm using different, um, what are they, different accounts to move money to different accounts for different things. I feel, I feel so much um, co- more confidence around my money, but also less stressed. Like I feel pretty calm. I'm like, ah, we have plenty. And like, what was I thinking being stressed out about this? And now that not spending money on dinner every single night or some crazy, like going out and getting ice cream every night of the week, like we don't need to do that. So I feel like when we sort of can look at things objectively and have a plan, like really have a strategic plan and and know where your money's going, then it's easier to take the jobs that you want to take regardless of the salary. Oh, amen, sister. You blew the doors off on this one and you blew the doors off on something else that we were going to talk about, which actually um, we'll talk about it another time. But this totally blows the doors off that people oftentimes don't know that where this money is going. And there have been so many like I I used to read like Kiplinger's. um, It's a financial magazine and like all these um, financial magazines like left and right. I used to just devour them. And there were all these stories about, okay, how can you save like 50 bucks a week? You know, so like, let's cut out the Starbucks. Let's cut out going through the drive through. Let's cut out doing this. And it was so funny. I was going down the list personally and I was thinking like, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. So how can I save 50 more dollars a week? But, but you can always try to figure the, you know, these things out for you because I don't go to Starbucks and I don't go through drive throughs and I don't do certain things, but there are some things that you might not know where your money is going. I mean, there's a program called uh, Mint, uh, mint.com, and it's free. And you can actually see where your money is going. It was actually bought by Intuit, but it was something that I started when it was in beta years ago. And like all your expenses, you just see like what, and of course, and, and it gives you like this pie chart. Of course, I think 96% of my pie chart goes to my kids. So I call my three kids like my house in Greece, my house at the beach, my house here. Um, I mean, literally, like it just goes to them. But I I know where it goes. I love mint.com, Kevin. Yeah, it's awesome. It really is. is. And it's free. Um, As far as I know, I don't think they're charging because, you know, I still use it. Um, But it is it's a fantastic tool to really get a bird's eye view of what is going on, where this money is going. People would be shocked and, and kind of like feel a little nauseous, like, oh my gosh, I spend that much money on that. You don't think about it because everything's a credit card or a debit card or whatever. And just, you know, swipe, swipe, swipe. Um, and then you think, then you sell, then you tell yourself like, oh gosh, I wish I had that money back. I didn't really need that thing, whatever that thing is. So I love the sort of that conscientious piece or just being aware of where, where your money's going, Elizabeth. Can I say another thing? (laughs) Of course. And this is because I want to redeem myself because I feel like maybe the listeners want to strangle me from what I was talking about, lack mentality earlier. But um, I also want to share my personal experience with respect to money and happiness and freedom and jobs. Okay. So I worked full time and was very unhappy by the end of the fifth year. I mean, so unhappy that I would come home and just, be crying at the kitchen table or in the middle of the night, like screaming, yelling like a psychopath at my husband. So, and we weren't even married at the time, so I'm not sure why he married me, but I mean, I was miserable and it was because I was really like overdoing it and not taking any care of myself in terms of, you know, I had no spiritual practice. I didn't do any physical activity at the time. I was just 
pretty much a lump on a log. But my husband was supportive enough when I came to him and said, look, I want to leave this and take like a $50,000 pay cut and go work part time at this. Can we figure out how that's going to work? And he's like, I'm getting like a little choked up. He's like, if it's going to make you happier and not this like mess of emotions, please do that. So. Wow. What a guy. I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we did get married. Oh, right. That's awesome. No, but so, and at that time it was interesting when I started working at that part-time job at the gym, I had this boss who was kind of Zen, but also a little, like, I think he was Zen, um, cynically kind of like making fun of me. Cause this is when I was going through a lot of, um, transitions and stuff. And he always would argue with me about how money doesn't buy you happiness. And I'm sitting there like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Look what I just did. No, it doesn't. And he said, well, underneath it all, it does. And so the reason I'm telling you this is because kind of what you were talking about before, Kevin, I agree that it specifically doesn't, but I do also agree that it makes things easier. Um, you know, having money obviously makes things easier. So my whole point of sharing this is now that's why I want to be conscious around where my money is going, because I do want to have the freedom to work part-time. And since I haven't, I've never gone back to a full-time job and people probably think, Oh my God, like you're in your thirties and you're not working a full-time job. I don't understand how you guys are doing this. It's because I, I want to be home, like to take care of this house. I want to have the freedom to work on my business. I want to do the things I want to do. And I don't want to drive and commute to a job every single day of the week. So that's why being mindful of how much I'm spending helps me have the freedom of the things I want to do. You know, if that kind of, if it comes around full circle, I don't know if I've confused the audience more or less. No, you haven't confused (laughs) anyone, Elizabeth. And I think what I want to point out here is you're talking about priorities. You Mm. decided I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you made a decision to prioritize your health, well-being, happiness, and fulfillment over how much money you were earning and how much you were putting in the bank on a regular basis. That's what I'm hearing. And I think that's wonderful. I've made a similar choice in my life. I don't work full-time anymore. I work part-time and I'm still building my various business or aspects of my business. So it's a choice. It's a lifestyle choice. And We know that there are people out there, there are nurses listening right now who feel like they don't have a choice and they feel like they don't even have a choice to leave the job they're in because of the fear they feel about taking that slight pay cut to get to the facility where they really want to work, where they feel like they can really shine. And I think this is the sort of inspiring message that some of those nurses need to hear or want to hear that there is a possibility and I just want to say as a coach, and I think you both would agree with me that when you're in a place in your life where it feels like there's only two choices, that there's usually another way to figure it out. Like when you went to your husband, he could have reacted in a real black and white way. It's like, no, we need this amount of money or that amount of money. You know, there's no other way. But obviously he saw the bigger picture and you saw the bigger picture. So it's that ability to prioritize and then think, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to change or shift within me and in my lifestyle to make it possible? And that's what I often talk to my clients about when they're talking about their fears of making a change or trying to do something different. Good point. Good point. And I agree. It is, 
we can only see the options that we can envision. And, and sometimes we're too close to that. So you're right. Going and seeking support or advice or mentorship or however, there probably are. And the other thing I'd like to add, which it's, it's easier said than done, but once you practice, you kind of build up the muscle, but making a decision and just trusting that you're going to be supported. So like when I left, we were like, holy crap, like I can't believe it. She's only making like 30 something thousand dollars a year. What the hell are we thinking? But somehow like we were never late on a bill. I, I don't know what happened or where it came from. But my point is, and, and this this comes a lot from all the energetic work that I do. Like there's oh, there always is going to be a way and an answer. And so people listening are like, oh, that's so cliche and that won't happen for me. It really, really does. It's just we have to kind of trust. And it, it's hard in the beginning. But as I said, when you make those choices more and more, it becomes easier. I mean, I know people who completely say, oh, well, I'm going to turn this over and I'm going to just completely do this. And oh, my goodness, the money like shows up and comes to them. And that. They are well ahead of me because I'm like, holy cow, how do you do this? So it's interesting. <laughs> no, it, it's good. And it's great that you have a partnership, a personal partnership that supports that. Because I too, my wife and I were in a very similar situation as my business was going through some growing pains where I had to divert some income. Because as we were growing, I had to put more money into salaries and pull mon more money away from myself so that we could cover some things as we grew. And so I remember her going to work every day with a pit in her stomach. Um, but she she's very, working is real, like her career is very important to her, but having a pit in your stomach isn't. So, um, and she was making a great salary, a great living um, for all of us, uh, you know, for the family. And, you know, I said the same thing to her. I'm like, listen, this is, you are totally shredded. You are not whole as a person. And so she walked away from quite a bit of money to now take a career, you know, a career shift that she currently is is making a great living. Don't get me wrong. She's making a fantastic living. But in certain worlds, like, I mean, going from like, say, for profit to nonprofit, it's a little bit different in so many aspects. But she loves her job and the work-life balance that she has. I mean, she has. And here's the thing, more time. I mean, to buy, like, you're literally, like, if you were to say, okay, if you're making like in the 30s or 40s or whatever, like that's what your salary was cut to versus like making 70s to 80s or plus or more than that, you maybe had just taken that that pay cut to buy time, to get time. And to be honest, like there's there are points in your life where you're just like, I just wish I could have gotten that time back. You're getting time back. Like right now, you're making this conscious effort to get this time back because you're saying like, I don't want to be closer to retirement or later in my life and then say, oh my gosh, what did I do? Right. You know, what do I have to show for it? And I lost out on so many opportunities. Mm. I don't mean to be a downer, but I'm just, no, that's, you know. that's actually not a downer, Kevin, because you're, you're pointing out what you could do. And then there's other choices you can make and bringing this back to nursing and nurses. And I know we need to wrap this up soon is for the nurses out there who are feeling like they're at their wit's end. If they're feeling like Elizabeth was feeling back at that job where she came home and she was basically a lump on a log because the job was eating her alive, it was eating her up. So a question to ask yourself is, okay, if this job is eating me up, if the culture at my workplace is destroying my soul or sapping my spirit or whatever metaphor you want to use for that process that happens in a negative work environment, what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you to get out? What kind of sacrifices are you willing to make? How much skin in the game, as Kevin might say, are you willing to 
to lay down on the table to make it happen, to make a change. And those are rhetorical and maybe non-rhetorical questions to ask yourself if you're really unhappy. And nurses do, not generally, but many nurses, I think, have a hard time with this financial piece because they're so focused on taking care of other people. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. they want to earn enough money for their families, but they'll run themselves into the ground while they do that. And I personally am on a mission to help nurses not do that because I love nurses and I want them to be happy and make a decent living for themselves. So that's my piece about it to wrap up that part from my perspective is what's it worth it to you? You know, how worth it is it to be happy and healthy? Yeah. And you know, you're right. It, it, we just don't see that. And we, we don't hear that because you're right, Keith, when we're taking care of all these other people and we're not taking care of ourselves, you know, we hear about the versatility of nursing. We hear about the possibilities that we could be doing so many other things than here at the bedside or maybe at the bedside somewhere else or doing some other type of nursing that we just don't know. And maybe there is a pay cut involved. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe there's a short-term pay cut involved. However, what are some opportunities that maybe you could be promoted if that's something that you seek? Think about this. Like, let's say that you cut your salary by ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year in that first year. However, that new organization that brings you in sees the value, finds the value in you, sees some potential in you that maybe you didn't even see. And this is very possible in that they say, you know what, you are really just a ringer here. You are doing a a fantastic job for us. We really appreciate you. We would love to put you or promote you to this position. And ultimately it comes with a a quite either a significant pay raise that brings you back up to your old salary or even beyond that. And that can happen. That is very real. That is very tangible. That is very possible depending on the culture that you're, you know, that, that you go to, that you're, that you end up in. So think about it like that too. This could be sort of a a short-term loss for a much longer-term gain. Yeah, that's what, so to finish this off, that's what we were talking about with the entrepreneurial piece was when you let go of some of the sort of (laughs) deadweight clients or, Mm -hmm. you know, less uh, forthcoming pay payers that are not that you're you're wasting time chasing these people down so once you let go of those and it's sort of what i was just talking about a moment ago energetically when you let go of something there's the possibility that something greater will happen so i agree with that in the entrepreneurial space and also in the employee space so yeah take that cut make that change if it's worth it to you as keith you know, just asked us those very reflective questions and and dig deep for answers. And if it's worth it to you, you know, take that leap of faith. And as Kevin's saying, and I agree, I, I totally agree. It's just sort of like then the abundant, all loving universe will pay you back tenfold because something else will come your way that's even better. Yeah. So thank, great, great points. No, no. Well, that's what you blew the door off on is, as far as the client. Because I remember one of our first clients at Spire Health you know, over the years, things just started going downhill. It wasn't so much about chasing money, but it was kind of fighting for every dollar, fighting for just kind of some footing in the relationship. And it got to become really exhausting. And so as a business owner, you might think, well, gosh, that's still, you know, because I'm always saying the money is the lifeblood, you know, but the people really, your your teams, your business, I mean, they are the lifeblood. And if people aren't happy, if things aren't going well, then ultimately that's just, that's just a short-term you know, or that's a long-term 
problem that you, you just need to get rid of that client. And ultimately that was really hard for me when I got rid of that client. And again, I was very, as I've said before, romantic about it because they were the first client that we had. When we did that, the business exploded. People were just rejuvenated. They were excited again. They were looking to like other opportunities. And I, I kid you not, when we unfortunately, you know, mutual agreement, let that client go like, holy smokes, like we quadrupled income, we quadrupled happiness and, you know, sustained this culture again where that, that we had started like this is fun again. And we were like kind of like living and dying on this particular situation. And it was a bad business move just because we felt like, oh, well, we needed the invoice. We needed that payment. But ultimately we didn't. We just needed to see beyond that, beyond those dollar signs knowing that if we invested and, and taken that leap of faith, which I have done several times, and it really does reap some huge benefits, and it did for us. So it does work. It does in your great career example. and entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. Great, great example, Kevin. And you said lifeblood earlier, and I just want to say that, you know, happiness can be the lifeblood of your life and your health, or, you know, money and income can be the lifeblood. And, you know, there's, there are choices to make there on how you prioritize those things. And I know a lot of people have heard about the country of Bhutan where they, they measure gross domestic happiness instead of gross domestic product, you know, GDP. And you can look at your gross personal happiness, you know, look how happy you are in your life and see how your work life and your salary and everything fits into that. So that's something to really consider and, and take in, I think. And this has been a great conversation. You know, we've covered entrepreneurship and invoicing and how to stand up for yourself financially in that <laughs> world. And then we've covered more of this kind of inspirational and educational information about nurses out there in the working world and how they need to care for themselves too. So I think it's been a really, really awesome conversation. Well, I agree. And, and maybe one takeaway that I would just want to leave is that if, if it is a particular situation like this that was on this mastermind group here, Aspiring Nurse Bloggers, uh, you know, Brittany Wilson's group and, and the community, is that if you find that you've done a lot of this work or all of this work and you're not, seek, you know, you're not getting payment, you can't get in touch with someone, you feel like it's a lost cause, maybe it's not a lost cause. Could you repurpose that content? Could you use it for something else? Have you done work for someone that you're not getting paid for that you could ultimately use for someone else? Did you learn something from doing that work? Is there a way to frame your mind to say, well, you know, I lost out on that revenue, but it, what can I take away from this? What did I learn, not only as a business owner, but from, from the actual creation that, you know, that I made here? Can I do something else with it? Can I flip it and do something else with it? It's always possible. You just got to look at it from every angle. Anyway. I, you know, Amen. But, yeah. <laughs> all right, you too. Well, cool. it, this has been fun. I, and I'm, I'm glad that we had this discussion and we never know where we're going to end up. So I think we ended up in a good spot. So as always, did you feel uplifted? Did you feel motivated? Well, I hope so. Don't give up. Seek out those opportunities. Invest in those ideas. And remember that failure is merely, merely an opportunity to learn. And of course, as we always ask, let us know what's working or not because we do want to hear from you. We appreciate you taking the time because again, time is money and can be your lifeblood. So we look forward to having you back here with us again on RNFM Radio.